From Cowtown to the city that fun forgot, this is East Meets West. Yeah! And we're live. The fact that this is track five doesn't bode well for the chat overall. (laughs) (laughs) As, uh, As the personalities of Hello Internet will readily tell you, technical difficulties are not the ideal way to start a podcast. No, they're not. And they have like half hours, at least what, what has it been? I guess probably been about half an hour since we started trying. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Cause we basically said, yeah, one let's do that. And then in typical fashion for us, one came and went. Yeah. One we tried and God bless us. We're still here at two ten. all times. We are mountain, uh, mountain standard time. But here we go. We're going to do this. All right. We're doing it. We're just, we're getting down on the floor and, uh, we're, that that was terrible. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even really know where you were going with that. Yeah. Me neither. Um, I was going for a double entendre, but it just, wow. Yeah. So the East meets the West. It does again for the second time somewhere in Manitoba. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a God, I can't remember the specifics of it, but I think it's the Red River that divides like a historically English and a historically French settlement or something like that. And so you can literally cross a bridge and the architecture shifts dramatically in Manitoba somewhere. I believe it. Yeah. It, yeah, I think that happens in Ontario and Quebec too. Right uh, in Ottawa. Not nearly as drastically, probably, but... Yeah, yeah, I I could see that. Like, the Ottawa River is a pretty good... Well, the Ottawa River defining the boundary between Quebec and Ontario for quite a span. Works for me, though. Sure. Tells me where not to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially now that you're over 19 and can drink in Ontario and don't have to go to Gatineau to get booze that's true i think that only happened once or twice before i turned 19 though yeah that sounds about right yeah so are we is this the show have we made it <laughs> i don't think we've made it yet it okay. doesn't it doesn't feel right all right do you want to do you want to keep talking or do you want to what do you want to do rub uh well if you want to do the like a real intro Oh, Again, man. you can do a real intro. Okay. If you can't, we can just start right. talking. We're going to try it. We're going to try it. We're going to try it. Ready? Okay. From Cowtown to the city that fun forgot, this is East meets West. That's Rob. I'm Nick. Let's go. Here we go. Episode two. Yeah, we made it. We made it past the pilot this stage. Is... Yeah. First episode. Full on podcast mode. Or like. That is now the first episode. This is the second episode. Yeah. We actually have follow-up from the first episode already, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Like, I, I that's happened a couple times where I've written a blog post about something and then just far more interesting details drop almost immediately after. But uh, the beer store and the LCBO... Yeah, uh, they appear to have been colluding. I mean, 
in reality, it makes sense because they're kind of two sides in theory, or at least they were two sides of the same coin. At one place, you got your liquor, one place, you got your beer and never the twain shall meet. But now the LCBO sells beer and everything's changing. Yeah. Except they do not sell 12 packs or cases of 24 because they have formally agreed not to compete with the beer store where the beer store exists. If there is no beer store, they are allowed to sell higher volume packages, but that is not usually the case. Yeah. And I assume that only applies to bottles. I'm not actually sure. Like cans maybe too. It it would be like the stuff that the beer store, the beer store sells that uh, the LCBO can't sell at the same time. Yeah. So when I said, you know, it appears as though it's something like collusion. It, it is actually active collusion. Yeah. And the only reason Which I anyone can, could have really told you. Well, yeah. I mean, the only reason I, I, yeah, from popular observation, I mean, I never go to the beer store for the same thing I would go to the LCBO for. And can I add to that and say that I would, I don't go to the beer store anymore. I literally exclusively go to the LCBO. Yeah, actually me too. Like, because the LCBO has all the interesting beers. Like it's yeah. only if I'm going to a party or need enough beer for an entire weekend that I go to the beer store. Yeah. Actually, my biggest beer volume purchase was at the LCBO because I just bought a flat of tall cans. And that was what sort of tall cans? Uh, Lowenbrow, I believe. Oh, see, the beer store doesn't sell those. Yeah, exactly. I don't, do they sell any tall cans or they just sell regular cases? I think they do sell some tall cans, but I mean, it's been a while. Yeah, I just never go anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, no, they've they've actively been colluding. And the beer store, I think the greatest part is that the beer store, their lobbyists actually lobby all three parties so like it's it's not even picking sides it's just hey let's give everybody money so that we can keep having our nice little pseudo monopoly here yeah no matter what political party actually happens to be in power at a given moment they're gonna have control yeah and i i can't actually think of why they wouldn't compete other than it might help the LCBO's profits. Yeah. Cause I mean, if they don't have I to, think we, if they don't have to carry as much stuff, that's lower operating costs, but yeah, I don't know. I think the setup is on the way out anyways. I think we have maybe five years tops left of this sort of precarious. Now that the secret's out about the collusion, I think there's going to be legislation to, correct what is now horribly not Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. I I would prefer to just see the LCBO take it all over, frankly. Yeah. I mean, if you want to have the, the LCBO type system where you have uh, like the government selling you liquor or you well, can just have. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, of the two entities, I would prefer the LCBO to be the operator yeah. so that, you know, it at least, any profits would go to 
the province and maybe ease the tax burden of the average person. But I'm also for consumption taxes over income, so there's that too. Yeah, sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, my obvious preference would be just completely privatized beer sales. But, I mean, that's also, I don't know if I've been through that here or not, that, uh, I mean, beer production started at about the same time agriculture started. And we also, you know, denote the start of quote unquote civilization as when we started the practice of agriculture. So, I mean, I feel that beer should be given, you know, the ultimate grandfather clause. Because usually... Absolutely, yeah, it should. You know, things that exist before some legislation is introduced just gets grandfathered in. It's like, oh, okay, that that was there before. Like, uh, London, England. Or, no, sorry, the city of London. Yeah, London. The city of London, yeah. Within, you know, it's now within the greater thing called London, which started as Westminster. Plug for CGP Grey. Yeah. Go watch his video on the city of London. It's fascinating. But, like, I think it's in the Magna Carta. They say that rather than, you know, deriving power from a monarch or something, the city of London derives its power for or its status from time immemorial, which I think, you know, is basically what beer deserves, given that it's so old. Yeah, there's there's a lot of regulation and there have been things like prohibition that have been tried around the world and there have been all kinds of laws and uh, well I mean the the Bavarian purity laws we've talked about as well I will, trying to protect people. Yeah, I will clarify that I think the Bavarian purity laws are a good thing. Like consumer protection is a good thing. Like stopping yeah. people from poisoning you is a good thing. But <laughs> yes. you know, beer doesn't deserve to be shackled. And especially in Ontario, beer is it accounts for like one percent of the Canadian economy or something like that. Cause the glass bottle production is Ontarian. A lot of craft brewers are Ontarian. Transportation networks are Ontarian, and it just it serves to multiply and to drive the economy forward. It's a beautiful thing. Does the does the production of these I mean, we've talked about how like InBev and uh, Sapporo and all of these foreign companies. Do that? Does that count towards that one percent, or is that just Canadian-owned stuff? Is one percent? Do you know? Mm, I'm not sure. Because one percent, it sounds high, but we also love our beer in Canada. Don't we ever? I, I don't know. Everyone loves their <laughs> yes. beer. That's true. Um. In, we also had some follow-up on milk here. Yeah. In other news. We were talking about milk last episode, bags versus jugs, but those bags and jugs are also heavily regulated. And it was recently proposed by Max, I think, that they would like to sell three liter jugs and, oh, the storm that was raised. Oh, the people that were angry. (laughs) And I remember reading articles and I, I'm not going to give this, uh, like I'm not going to give this a journalistic treatment because I remember reading the articles and going, just what are you complaining about? How is this an issue? Like, right. I mean, you don't have to give it 
give both sides equal time. But I mean, what were people's complaints? Oh, that like basically that three liter milk jugs would be the downs, the downfall of society as we know it. Like (laughs) they were just so upset. Like, I don't know. It it might be marginally more expensive and people were upset that, you know, you might be driving up the cost of milk and that production would be hurt or something like that. It's, I, I don't, I didn't really understand it. So I don't remember it, but farmers who are a notoriously progressive group, uh, were just beside themselves at the state of things. However, we are entering a new era yeah. where it can now be sold in three liter jugs in Ontario. Sweet, sweet milk. I'm excited. Brace yourself, I mean, it, Rob. It, Change is coming. It probably is a way to sell milk for more expensive. What's next? For more money. 1.75 liter jugs, Rob. I think that already five exists, liter jugs, Maybe eight liter jugs. jugs. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve and a three liter jug of milk, Rob. <laughs> Where in the garden of Eden do you get milk? I don't know. Were cows there? <laughs> you, you, you broke it. You were talking in this huge magnanimous voice. And then you're just like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Why would you ask me these things, Rob? such hard questions don't they already sell milk in two liter jugs and in one liter jugs two liter cartons no there are one liter jugs and there are two liter jugs in ontario that's a thing i it's a thing here ontario like i i've recently seen some and i thought it was the most curious thing to have like one and two liter jugs I think it's a thing in Ontario. Maybe I don't know. Go double check. I think it's I'm not home very often. I think it's cartons. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna look into this. Yeah, at the grocery store. For any listeners that might not be Canadian, these are our these are our issues. These are our struggles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly beverage related. Yeah, we got when it comes to liquids that might be consumed oh 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 i mean we get our backs up (laughs) i have two things here one why is legislation involved at all and how big our milk is i don't know like Like, why does it why why do they have the legal power to stop people from selling well there's three liter jugs there's often a lot of legislative control over farming and things like that most a lot of it has to do with what i'm going to call price fixing I mean, the, the supply is controlled to ensure that prices are at a certain place and, you know, it, it is still economically viable for farming. Like, okay. Until just recently, like, we also had the Canadian Wheat Board, which was the biggest thing of its kind in the world. And then that, well, Harper put a stop to that. I don't know what the benefit was, but it's now free market in Canada when it comes to wheat. Okay. And so like there was, it used to be that you could buy, I mean, the examples I'll use is it used to be a 600 milliliter bottle of pop. Mm -hmm. And now we're down to 591 because that increased profits, whatever marginal percentage, making the bottles almost not noticeably less, uh, containing less beverage. 
and the two liter juice carton is now 1.89 liters again to save that 5% or whatever it is why is there so much regulation in the milk industry and why do people care so much about it <laughs> i i don't know I, I mean, i'm this, not like asking you i'm just i'm this, just pondering yeah i mean th- this is also the podcast where we had a not insubstantial debate on how to cut your bags of milk. Well, I was saying just give it a try. That's true. I, and I, I will once I see milk in bags again. Yeah, which could be a long time. Yeah, clearly. How, uh, <laughs> how often would you say you get the chance to go back across the country? Uh, well, in all the time I've been in Alberta once. You've been in Bar- Alberta twice. Yeah, and I've gone to Ontario once. Yeah, it was for a year. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to segue because we have in here that we want to talk about seeing family at Christmas time. And, oh, an organic and going segue. Home. Well, let's let's think about <laughs> it that. It didn't work. Right? When when might we go back home? Would Would you go home during the holidays? You could. I go. I mean, since I stopped going every year, I think I try to go every other year. Mm -hmm. So this year I didn't go home at all, which was kind of sad. But uh, technology like Hangouts, like we're using right now, is a big help in that regard. Because I was able to talk to my family on Christmas, even though I wasn't able to actually see them. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I've done that. We've had, my family and I have had a pretty technology-filled Christmas at least a couple times we were looking through old pictures yesterday actually and the last uh, we've had at least two christmas cards where it's like my face on an ipad in a group <laughs> picture with them <laughs> <laughs> that's nice i like that yeah and uh so while i would like the opportunity to go home for every christmas it, if i can't at least we can make do with that yeah um on my on my side, um, I just am not in a financial position to go back to Ontario for the holidays. And uh, Kaya could have, but she went to Ontario so many times already this past year that she said, why don't we just get together in July or, you know, when it's warm or something like that? Sure. But uh, Kaya also has some um, cousins living in Calgary, so we went to spend the holidays with them, and it was it was really nice. One uh, one thing that was interesting was they are just you know as far as nuclear family is concerned, they are completely discreet from both of us. So there were a lot of presents being opened where you didn't actually know what everyone was getting ahead of time, which was kind of interesting. Interesting. That yeah. nobody there knew what was what was in the package. Yeah, is that what you is that what you mean? Or yeah. in some cases, yeah. But like, I was watching a bunch of yeah. presents that I didn't know about previously being opened. It was neat. <laughs> um, and cool. and and this is key. Uh, Santa did manage to find me. I did get some presents from Santa. Wow. Yeah, that's really impressive. Yeah, I know. Like I. I haven't talked to Santa in years and yet he still managed to, uh, 
to figure out where I was, what I was doing. And yeah, I even, I like you like that. I went to bed, uh, not knowing what the deal with my stocking was and it was full on Christmas morning. Wow. Yeah. Actually mine was full. Mine was full too. That's amazing. uh, It was at Julia's parents. Oh, okay. And see, Santa knew where you were going to be. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's just, man, let's just all pause and think happily about Santa. (laughs) (sighs) So on that note, I was reading a story last week. I guess it was, yeah, technically last week. Mm Mm-hmm about a passenger on a flight i think it was new york or new jersey a passenger boarded a flight and was told by one of the flight attendants merry christmas perfectly seemingly fine thing to say yeah this gentleman took uh i don't know that he took offense he just thought it was uh, not a politically correct thing to say and that not everybody celebrates christmas i think he actually did celebrate it but he was like being a a warrior of justice for others. Mm-hmm. And he got very upset with uh, people wishing a Merry Christmas on the as, plane. And, as judicial warriors often do. Yes. And uh, after 40 minutes of fighting on the tarmac, he was kicked off the plane to everyone's cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the war on Christmas that we hear yeah. so much about, usually on Fox uh yeah it's yeah i i would i would say with that anecdotal evidence the war on christmas is going poorly very poorly yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like it doesn't need to happen at all (laughs) yeah um so i wanted to ask you about that actually um yeah you hear a lot about the war on christmas and the controversy over wishing someone a Merry Christmas. I don't get it. But yeah, it's so yeah, I, I don't mean, get it either. I know that when I was in Ontario, Belleville specifically, and I can't remember how exactly it works out, but Belleville has a very high number of fundamentalist churches per capita. These are fundamentalist okay. Christian churches. Um, and one year when I was younger, a, a holiday tree was put up outside of city hall and people were displeased. We'll say that people were very upset. And, uh, the year after, and for the, I believe it was the rest of the tenure of the next mayor, we had a Christmas tree and, I believe I'm quoting directly here. If you don't want to look at it or if you're upset by the idea of a Christmas tree, don't come down and look at it. It seems like the best way to handle it. I guess. I don't, I don't, well, anytime I have ever been wished a Merry Christmas, a happy Hanukkah, a quasi Kwanzaa or a tip top tet. I've I've always just been, you know, oh, they are celebrating something and they hope that I have a nice time while they're celebrating. And that's that's just fine with me. 
How do yeah. you feel, Rob? I feel, I mean, I, we, we've talked about this before <clears throat> about how I don't really care about Christmas that much. Like I don't care about the, the holiday aspect of it. I like the family aspect of it. Uh, I guess I'm okay for the most part with the consumer aspect of it, although I don't necessarily want to participate a lot. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the politics of Christmas, I I don't want to like I almost get more upset at people saying happy holidays if it's if they're doing it for the reason that they don't want to say Merry Christmas. Like mm-hmm. I'm fine with someone people have freedom of speech, they can say happy holidays if they want to. But if they're like, Oh no, you can't say Merry Christmas, I have to say happy holidays that I kind of have a problem with. I'm just, I'm not a problem. Like, not like I'm going to stop them, but why are you doing that? You don't need to do that. I don't think anybody really asked you to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you well, don't like, need stop, please. I know, like this year in Calgary, I heard a lot of Merry Christmases, but almost any time I saw something in print, like from a major organization, it said Happy yeah. Holidays. And I don't know if there's... Yep been some fervor lost over the years or what it is but i i seem to recall hearing more happy holidays in ottawa and you know ontario in general it's possible i know the the written thing for sure people are afraid to write the words merry christmas in a public space mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even in something like a greetings card greeting card i i don't get it if you're celebrating christmas you can wish someone a merry christmas I, I get the whole trying to be inclusive thing, but you're just sort of alienating everybody. <laughs> I, yeah. There, I there was actually, are you familiar with this is that? Uh, it sounds familiar. Great show. Great show on CBC radio one. Yeah. It's okay. basically the onion for Canada. And okay. one of their, one of their episodes uh they talked about how you know happy holidays was offensive because not everyone has holidays over the christmas season so their proposal was to greet people with it's december time (laughs) i think yeah i think any of that (laughs) it's all worse than just saying merry christmas there's a whole big discussion and I think I've talked about this earlier this year as well is that everybody gets the Christian holidays off. Like there's no officially recognized Muslim holidays that, that everybody gets off work. It's all mm-hmm. Christian holidays or well, and in I mean, fairness, there like are Memorial days and there are giving people Ramadan off would be tricky because it goes by no, the I lunar don't. calendar. So it could fall anywhere in the year. And man, right, but Muslim countries don't get all of Ramadan off. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you get, I think, the feast day off or whatever it is. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I actually knew a guy who celebrated Ramadan in the middle of summer. Yeah. That poor guy. That poor guy had to wake up at like 5 so he could eat something and then wait again until like 10 p.m. to eat something. Yeah. He was, he was just a touch grumpy over Ramadan. And yeah, no kidding. As, I as do not blame him in the slightest. <laughs> yeah. At that point, I mean, what do you, we are not trained to, like if someone wished me a, a Mary Eid or, or whatever the traditional, like I'm not familiar with the traditional Muslim holidays. I'm not familiar with the greetings around it. Yeah, nor am I. 
uh, I've heard like there tends to be a lot more Jewish culture in in popular culture, and so you tend to hear things like lechaim. Although you again, I don't really know the context, the proper context to use that. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're not really exposed to it. If someone did wish someone a happy Eid, I don't even know that it's a happy celebrate. Like it, I mean, I think it's a celebration, but I don't sure actually know why. I yeah. don't know if it's a happy occasion. So if someone did wish me a happy time in whatever way, I wouldn't like, I don't understand what offense could possibly be taken from that. Well, look at us 18 to 35 year olds. <laughs> so progressive thinking progressively. Uh, <laughs> Craziest thing I'm, I'm I've ever of, heard. <laughs> I'm thinking of an analogy going into, uh, going into like a Lone Star restaurant, which is, I don't know if you have, they have them in Alberta. It seems like, well, place, I did live in Ontario for a while. I don't know yeah. if you know this. We might have met there. No, I don't know if, do they have Lone Stars in Alberta? I, oh, uh, I haven't seen one. Actually, neither have I. It's like a fajita place. Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's Tex-Mex. It's, it's the first place that pops to mind when you think of people singing for birthday. For me, anyways. Oh, that that for me is Montana's, which oh, I that, believe is the same umbrella corporation, but you know, it probably is. Uh, but it seems like if you were celebrating your birthday at one of these two establishments, and they came to to wish you a happy birthday, and someone was like, "You shouldn't sing that. It's not all of our birthdays. Why are you <laughs> celebrating?" <laughs> like what? <laughs> That's honestly how it seems to me. And I think that is an that, excellent point, Rob. On that basis, I don't get it. Just because it's you're not specifically celebrating doesn't mean you can't <laughs> join in. Be happy that someone else is happy. Yeah. I think that's my stance on, on the whole Merry Christmas thing. But I certainly don't feel... I, don't, I certainly don't feel bad saying it. And I've never encountered the whole they, they on Fox News they do the whole war on Christmas thing like we are all being persecuted for something, mm-hmm. but I've never felt that. Maybe Canada is a little bit more. I don't want to use the word pro- progressive again, but maybe Canada is more accepting of small L of liberal other culture celebrations. Yeah, sure. So maybe it's less of a thing in Canada, but Perhaps. I've definitely like I know. I think official sort of PR guidelines is Merry Christmas is off limits, whether or not they're not ruling that it's not okay to say, they're just like, we're not going to tread there. We're just going to say happy holidays. Cause that no, seems to just, be accepted. It could also be like, let's include all of our customer base and not necessarily it's yeah. All of your customer base is not necessarily celebrating Christmas. Yeah. And it's use the most generic greeting possible. If I could go meta for a moment. It's at times like that when sure. I'm so happy that you have an S filter. <laughs> Wait, what, what needed an S filter? The word necessarily Christmas celebrating necessarily celebrating Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so, so this kind of, so yeah, are what? we, are we taking the bold stance on East meets West that we support empathy. 
Yes. Whoa. Whoa. I'm actually, I, I know we've talked about this a lot, uh, especially very recently, but uh, my year in review for 2014 is going to be empathy based. I don't even think I'm going to rev- like, I don't even think I'm going to talk about myself. I'm going to talk about the world and how we've become much more. And uh, at this point in this sentence, I have to do a mental self check to decide whether I want to say empathic or empathetic. I like the word empathic, but I've heard from people that it's not a word. But uh, 2014 was a very empathic, emphatic. Now I've forgotten which word I wanted to use. Empathetic. I'm going to say empathetic now. Uh, it's been a very empathetic year in general, in, the, in North America for sure. But I feel like a lot of people that maybe didn't gain wide acceptance are gaining wide acceptance or at least sort of having their stories heard. Okay. Even though, I mean, there are certain race issues, especially in the States that are far from solved, but I feel like a lot more people are hearing the story at least. Okay. It was definitely a year of progress. Good. I'm and my books. And this is completely in my books. I think I would put 2014 as my worst year on record. Yours personally. Yeah. So I'm excited to move forward. What, uh, I don't, I don't understand. It's, I mean, it seems like it's definitely been a year of great change. I mean, are you just looking forward as opposed to like in my life, my personal life? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. My, well, breaking my hip was tough. Yeah. And, you know, without, like, you know, without marriage actually having happened, my father-in-law died and that was tough. And, yeah, it's basically those two things. It's just 2014's name is mud in my books. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. I'm glad you support this. <laughs> yeah, I think the year that I tore my ACL and was unable to do sports for the better part of nine months, yeah, that definitely has a huge impact on you. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the only positive was that I dropped like 40 or 50 pounds in that year. <laughs> Other than wow. that, I think it was all pretty negative. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what did you do Boxing Day, Rob? <laughs> this is, of course, you know the uh, the nationwide celebration of the sport of boxing. <laughs> or alternatively, the boxing up of one's Christmas decorations and presents. Yeah. I uh, I actually did a bit of research on what the origins of Boxing Day are, and nobody knows, and nobody knows why it's actually called Boxing Day. It's oh, just kind of again, it's a it's a holiday immemorial. My dad, uh, being an Anglophile, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but uh, I guess the idea was that you have Christmas on the twenty fifth, and then the twenty sixth you are given a day 
to box up all your decorations and put them away because it's not. But is that anymore. actually the origin? When I was looking, it was it's, like my assumption is that's why it's called Boxing Day because you box things up and put them away. I mean, yeah, that's an assumption, but who who does that the day after Christmas? Well, nobody. It's just a convenient time for a holiday. Like, who in Canada I, spends all of February blah blah with their family, despite the fact that it's called Family Day? I guess so. Although many, I think a lot of people it, do, though. Well, yeah, because it just happens that way. But if Ontario officially <laughs> declared it Family Day, although in apparently it's entirely civic, like. There are a lot of places that, like the municipality defines it, but Ontario defined it Ontario-wide as family day. But like, I remember working at the Sears call center, which is really interesting Mm -hmm. being a Canadian because you talk to Canadians everywhere all the time. And on that day, we got a lot of calls that was like, oh, it's happy St. John's Newfoundland day or happy whatever my city is or happy friendship day or it was like it was just everywhere across the board like everyone's municipality had defined it differently but when they called into sears they wanted to make sure that you knew that this was that this was the day that it was interesting oh yeah (laughs) but uh so going back to boxing day specifically I don't like, I'm fine. Like I said it before, I'm fine with the consumer culture. I get that it's, people tend to be pretty tight with their money and they're not going to spend it unless they have a, a reason to. And having these sales, things like Black Friday, things like, I mean, Christmas being one of them, but. Oh, you want to talk about the sales. I do want to talk about the sales. This year, I actually went out, I mean, I wasn't searching for anything for myself necessarily, but uh, we were doing some shopping and I think it's always been in my mind and sort of in the popular culture that Boxing Day is this day where everybody goes crazy and lines are huge and everything is super busy, but that's not the experience I had this year. And it almost makes me think that one of two things is true, either people are shopping online and so they have less incentive to actually go into a store or into a mall or uh, like Black Friday coming north has meant that people did all their sales shopping earlier in the year and so Boxing Day is sort of an afterthought now. It's not there's no like you're not going through these once a year sales because you know they're they're not going to be much better than uh than the black friday ones question for you is this the first christmas you spent in ontario no okay because i have i mean my family is not big on boxing day sales like i've never gone shopping on boxing day okay because that sounds like the last thing i want to do when i'm trying to relax on a holiday um although i was I was only made aware that Boxing Day shopping was a big thing this year because uh, the people we stayed with, their daughter wanted to hit the sales early before the place became a zoo on at 10 o'clock. Right. 
And apparently it is a thing. People very much enjoy shopping on Boxing Day. It, it is still a thing. They love it. Everybody loves it. Consumerism. I would be fine staying home. The things that I buy, like the, th- the, the products that I tend to look for, don't get that heavily discounted on Boxing Day. And so it's not worth the small discount that may or may not be there to push through crowds or wait in line or anything like that. Well, it's a lot of clothes as I understand it. Mm, that but, makes sense. Cause um, I don't like clothes shopping. Yeah, me neither. It is as 18 to 34 year old men is probably the last thing on my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, no boxing day shopping. It happens. It's a thing. I don't want to do it. I bought a blender on Boxing Day. Now, what kind of blender was it? Oster? Oster? No, no, not brand. Like, what kind of blender is it? <laughs> I don't know, like a regular pitcher blender? Okay. Is that, a, is that a word you're looking for to describe it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, I'm going to... Okay. You, you remember when you said, if you cut two holes in the milk, it'll change your life? Yeah. I'm going to tell you, Rob, you you have to go and look at immersion blenders. Okay. They are, what's the difference? Explain an immersion blender to me. So an immersion blender, I refer to it as the thunder stick. I might've picked that up from Guy Fieri or something like that. It is, (laughs) it's a blade at the bottom of a, like a a shaft. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I know what you're talking about now. We're on the yeah, same yeah, page. yeah. Those things. All right. Ha- making a lot of soups and stuff like that, the immersion blender is amazing. You just, you've finished making your soup. You've got the pot right there. You stick the immersion blender in and you homogenize and it's amazing. Like before that, you had to take your pitcher blender, whatever you'd call it, pour like boiling hot liquid and big chunks of things (laughs) into said blender, blend it up, then pour it into something else to serve it. Like this is just all done in the pot. I remember, I remember talking to my mother about this while using an immersion blender to make pea soup. One day I just looked at her and was like, what did you guys even do before immersion blenders were widespread? Like, did you just sit around and think about how much life sucked because you had to transfer soup to a pitcher in order to blend it? Cause and going in batches, <laughs> like transferring to a pitcher in batches. God, that sounds horrible. Like immersion yeah. blenders. They are. Oh, and you know what? I just made some hummus with it. It, yeah. they're so good. They're so useful. They're so wonderful. Immersion blenders. I have it, had a bit to drink and I'm a little enthusiastic about immersion blenders. I don't think an immersion blender is the best product for me specifically, the way I'm going to use it. Rob, you're wrong. Um, no, like if I want to make a smoothie, how am I going to do that with an immersion blender? You put the stuff in your cup and you blend it. You know exactly like how much fruit? is going to come out. How would Rob? you blend frozen fruit with that? You stick it in and you hit blend. Maybe I'm thinking the power, of, Rob, 
the power that so is you, at your disposal when you're using an immersion blender. So you want me to get a very powerful one is what you're saying. The best ones have uh, multi, multi settings, like uh, multi speeds. Yeah. The one we have in the kitchen right the there is low and high and oh, dream. It is a dream to use. Get one, one with I'm a metal shaft of, though. Okay. The one I'm thinking of is the one that my mom had and it was, I think it was all plastic and it wimply blended stuff that was right inside the blades and not much else. Well, you have to move it around. Well, I know you move it, it around. If, but. if the solution is viscous enough. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it can, maybe not reasonably, but it can do the job of both a food processor and a blender if you're applying yourself. Because a lot of things that a a blender can't do that a food processor can usually has to do with, you know, viscosity or something like that. It's often the shape of of whatever it is like a blender will just blend things immediately in contact with the blades and everything above that just kind of stops. But yeah, the immersion blender, you can actually move around. Right. And like pre blended hummus is not at all homogenous. It is. Yeah. But it is easily homogenized with an immersion blender and you got to try it, Rob. You got it. So when 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 you said you're making hummus today, yeah. were you making you took blended hummus and you blended it more? No. Okay, you actually took chickpeas and blended them with tahini, lemon juice, salt, olive oil, and some water. Okay. Is there such a thing as like teach me about hummus? Is there such a thing as the the natural peanut butter of hummuses where it's just chickpeas ground up and blended because you can buy so like, peanut butter which is yeah yeah, sugar, yeah. Salt, so you're just peanuts. saying ground chickpeas yeah. yeah is that a thing or is that not uh, going to be good like it's too bland or well like um some people will skip the tahini some people okay. will substitute peanut butter for tahini because tahini is kind of hard to come by. And also surprisingly expensive if you just want to buy some sesame seeds to blend into tahini. Surprisingly <laughs> expensive, just FYI. Um, but yeah, uh, the, uh, the addition of tahini or a seed or nut butter... Uh, makes it more nutritionally complete. So the, um, when you're talking about hummus in hummus specifically, um, I think the, the main argument is uh, for whole protein. So legumes have a specific subset of amino acids and there are a certain number of amino acids that are essential for life. Like you just, you need all your essential amino acids to build proteins and thus muscle tissue and stuff like that. So to keep you structurally sound, you need a certain, a certain amount of all your amino acids. So legumes commonly all have one set of amino acids and you usually have to pair that with something else to get complete protein. 
So you're usually pairing it with a grain, like wheat, barley, rye, something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, and I'm not exactly sure, but I'm fairly certain that uh, seeds carry the complementary amino amino acids to legumes, or at least okay. some that the legumes don't have to start with. So just right. it, it 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 makes it a healthier meal. It also uh, I'm almost certain it lowers the glycemic load of the food. So it, it holds you longer because they're, you know, actual ground up seeds in there. Stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So if you eat, I'll give it a shot. If you eat hummus with pita, it's, it's just great. Yeah. I imagine like I'm thinking, I'm picturing trying to make hummus with a regular, with a pitcher blender now. And it seems terrible. That seems really bad. I, I tried making falafel with a pitcher blender once and that was the worst experience. Yeah. Um, but like you might be able to do it. It depends on the very specific nature of your blender, but like if it made a bunch of really thick hummus at the bottom and then all your chickpeas got stuck at the top, that could prove to be an issue. Right. Usually you would use a food processor. Yeah. Our yeah. our immersion blender blender actually comes with an attachment where you have a very small food processor that can hook into it, but the basket just isn't big yeah. enough. So right. I just tried using the immersion blender on a whim, just on the, a big bowl of all the ingredients combined, and it actually came out. Nice. Yeah. Pretty stoked. Know. Pretty yeah. excited. <laughs> Uh, anything else you want to say on blenders or, or on boxing day? <laughs> no. Um, I have said a surprising amount about blenders on yeah. this episode. You did. <laughs> <laughs> uh. We had a note here, uh, from a fan who also happens to contribute to unknown media, but shall remain nameless to protect his or her anonymity. Uh, who wanted us to weigh in on the Alberta government system, which apparently only has one party. This is news to me because I I wasn't at the age where I could participate in Alberta government when I left. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to at least introduce this subject so that we can maybe discuss it? So I'm pretty sure we're going to have to put this in the follow-up for East meets West 3. Yeah, th- but, uh, this is the first. Yeah, so like, a primer to our viewer question or viewer topic is uh, one party Alberta. And at a provincial level, Alberta has been overwhelmingly governed by one party for the entirety of its history as a province, I believe. Um. And I'm going off of something that Nenshi said in a speech once, and I'm just assuming it's right. I will look into this further later. <laughs> um, but if you remember the Canadian Commonwealth Federation from your history classes, do you? Do, do I see you maybe no. kind of sort of nodding? I don't think I do. No? Okay. I know the Commonwealth, but I'm not sure the 
the Canadian version no, it, of it, which it sounds like that's what that is. It was, uh, I want to say it was the first party to gain widespread expect acceptance outside of the Tories and the grits. Um, okay. Though it might've been a slightly different party anyway. So there, this one party sprung up in Alberta and a bunch of its members decided they were going to go there. A bunch of the national members decided they were going to form into something else. I think it was the CCF forming into the NDP could be wrong. We'll look that up. Tune in next time. Okay. Um, but instead of joining that other party, what the CCF in Alberta did was form their own party, which was the progressive conservative party, which from the sounds of it is the very definition of a centrist party. So the PCs in Alberta have held power for almost a hundred years now, I think something like that. And it's a long time, like politically long. It is a shocking, shocking power dynamic to everywhere else in Canada. I remember being in high school and it was a genuine toss up who was going to win the provincial election. And the one Albertan we had was telling us about the election they had just had in like was grade nine or 10 for me. And she said they were talking to their relatives in Alberta and they said, Oh, the election didn't go quite how we wanted it. And they said, what are you talking about? Your, your party won a majority. And they said, well, yeah, but we lost a seat. And it's like, (laughs) So your your majority was slightly less overwhelming than you would have hoped. That's what I'm hearing from this. And so <laughs> apparently this progressive conservative party has swung more progressive or more conservative as the people have demanded it to do because it keeps holding on to power. But like and, and I guess that's just it. It's like, it's like the antithesis to one party rule in China. Like you have one party rule in China and it's just, you know, horrible and awful for a variety of human rights reasons. But the PCs in Alberta are just, they change as the people want them to change. Yeah. Which is, I mean, in th- in theory, that's a good way to run a political party. You kind of keep giving them what they want and you yeah. stay in power. I don't know that it's great for oh. everybody else. And recently, like in another just unprecedented move, uh, the leader of the Wild Rose Party in Alberta, which was this fringe conservative group that didn't think the PCs were conservative enough, the Wild Rose Party. Yeah. I believe her name is Danielle Smith. Do you, are you familiar? Do you know? Not at all. Okay. Perhaps you should Google this while I keep talking. Anyway, I'll try. Uh, they won enough seats in the last election that they formed the official opposition. So that is the party with the second 
second most number of seats in the legislative assembly. Okay. So Danielle Smith was like, I guess she'd talked to the leader of the PCs and she felt it was difficult to get the things she wanted to do done in the wild rose party. And so she and a bunch of her, uh, wild rose peers crossed the floor and joined the government. And so, okay. Like the, so basically what happened is the PC party is in Alberta. It, it is just the natural ruler of Alberta. It seems this fringe conservative group comes up and says, we think there are more conservative things that you should be doing. The PCs then proceed to crush their opposition as they always do. Yeah. And then proceed to absorb the leadership of that other fringe group. They just proceeded to defeat or they had just (laughs) defeated. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, that is, that has never happened. And apparently her rationale is that she wanted some things to get done and she felt that she would be able to do that better from inside the government. But wow, just that is the first time that has ever happened in Canada that the leader of the official opposition would cross the floor. And by crossing the floor, I literally mean they sat on one side of, you know, whatever house it is and then got a, Often they would get up, walk across the floor and sit down on the other side. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where the term comes from, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she was sitting over there and now she's sitting over here with the government. Yeah. That, uh, that was pretty recent. Like two weeks ago. Yeah. They were just, she was just, uh, interviewed on the house with Evan Solomon. Great show. Yeah. CBC radio one. Uh, so when I Google Danielle Smith, the very first thing that comes up is a campaign or a petition to recall her that as of one or two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are very upset with her decision because some people <laughs> vote from, yeah. some people vote for the party and the party's principles rather than the person, which yeah is a separate issue we can get into at another time, but yeah, so that that was one question that came up in the interview. It's like, so should you be calling a by-election? Like, do you want to let your yeah. constituents decide on whether they want a Wild Rose Party member or you? And she's like, no, well, I mean, an election's coming up anyway. And he's like, in in two years, it's coming up. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you're just practically here now. We'll just, we'll, we'll try it out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get where she's coming from, and I know that a lot of politicians want to stay in in their seat of power. Mm -hmm. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense to me that she wouldn't want to give it up. But uh, whether or not that means she actually shouldn't is, I guess, a matter for debate. I guess there there is a recall system. There is democracy occurring right now that might uh, see to it, but yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Yeah. So 
so we've at least established what the one party dynamic in Alberta is and we'll proceed to uh, and you follow can, up at a later date. Yeah. You can also see why it's one party because it just absorbs people. I'm assuming this isn't the first time <laughs> yeah. this has happened. <laughs> it's like the blob of political parties. Yeah. It's just, it, it's not even like compete with and crush. It's just assimilate. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the official opposition leader. Yeah. Going to the, the, I mean, she was the leader of the party too. Like I'm just yeah. reading, I, I have no idea who she is. I'm just reading Wikipedia. Like it's a complete 180. Yeah. <laughs> she started, she helped start that party. Yeah. To oppose the PC well, rule. Yeah. She saw a problem and sought to get into government to correct it. So she started this party and now she sees she can do even better or she can do more for her cause from within. And cause she knows she's not going to win with the wild rose. She sees that they did the election. They didn't. Although win. they were, I, I guess they were polling pretty high before the actual election. And then the voters of Alberta remembered, Oh wait, we're Alberta, a different party. No, no, <laughs> We could never do that. It, it, although it appears to have worked very well so far. Like, yeah, if that party is doing what you want it to do, then sure, I guess. Yeah, and it seems that they are. Hmm. Huh. What do you say? Does that about wrap up this episode? I I was gonna say I think that's on that bombshell. We yeah. uh, we could probably leave episode two of East Meets West. I mean, f- further events in this whole political story will will probably necessitate more follow up, even even with our research. Yeah, further discussion and whatnot, or, or off the cuff research. <laughs> yes, I'm, yours happening I'm sure just we're going now, and mine discuss. like yeah, I, I I listened to an interview like a week ago. Fascinating stuff. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll discuss the political system in Canada in more detail. Absolutely. I like the system for the most part. We can talk about it. Yeah. Alrighty. So uh, where can people find us, Rob? Uh, they can head straight to unwindmedia.com. Uh, you'll be able to find the latest episode and, and all the other shows as well as this show, East Meets West. And uh, you can also head to Twitter. We'll be tweeting the voice of all of the unwind media shows will be tweeting from at unwind media. You can also contact us on Twitter. I'm at Robert Trell. You are at NWA Maddox. If I'm not mistaken, that's me. Yeah. That would be the best place. What about Google plus Rob? Yeah, you can, uh, I don't know how much <laughs> we'll be using the Google plus, but wow. How if you hard go to it on plus that one. Unwind media. If okay, you go yeah. to Plus Unwind Media on Google Plus, you'll be able to. Well, I mean, for instance, this is streaming live from the Unwind Media YouTube account, so uh, you can do that as well. And you poor souls that I don't believe exist, but had you tuned in for this one and watched the half hour of technical difficulties at the front, whoa. <laughs>
would have uh, would have been thrilling. It would have been, and yeah. if I mean, I'll probably just leave the video version of this untouched, so people can can plod through. I might leave a link. Can to truly like, appreciate. Here's where, here's where the actual talking starts, and before that, it is nonsense. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Alrighty. All right, we'll leave it for this week, and uh, we'll see you in the next one to two weeks. Yeah. Bye, guys.